This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast, episode number 105, part one of a two-part interview with the newsletter pro himself, Sean Buck. From the nation's heartland, this is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Ideas and conversations with business and marketing experts. Here's the street savvy marketer, Jim Raposa. Why, thank you very much, and uh, really thank you very much for listening in to the Street Savvy Marketer podcast, downloading this on your phone, on your tablet, listening on your computer. We, uh, well, I certainly appreciate it a whole bunch, and so does Jake the Wonder Dog, who is curled up under my desk here in the studio as we record this episode with my squeaky chair doing this episode of the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Anyway, wonderful to be with you. I am Jim Raposa, and thank you for all the folks who are finding our Facebook page. That is wonderful. And the folks who are latching on to us through great places like iTunes and Stitcher, and we're now on Google Play. They've just opened things up on the podcast side. So all you got to do is go to those places. Oh, and uh, TuneIn.com. Just search Street Savvy Marketer. You will find this podcast on there as well. And, of course, you're always welcome to visit our website at streetsavvymarketer.com. If you go there, send me an email. Tell me what you think of this podcast. And also, if you have something that you would like to hear about, a topic, maybe you have a guest suggestion, you know somebody that should be on the show as a guest, maybe you think you should be a guest. I'm open to all suggestions. Visit the website streetsavvymarketer.com. Oh, and by the way, when you go there, you might want to register for the uh, complimentary subscription to the monthly Street Savvy Marketer newsletter. So, Sean Buck is our guest today, one of the nicest guys in marketing, and he owns a company called The Newsletter Pro. Has a couple of books out, one that he co-authored with Dan Kennedy from GKIC fame. So we're going to hear from Sean in just a little bit. You stay right here with us. Because, well, listen, we're, we got to take a couple of seconds over here because we got some really cool folks, nice folks, who help keep the lights on here and also keep the servers paid for and running and get this podcast to you, however you're listening to us. So if you don't mind, I'm going to step aside while this nice lady tells you what you're listening to. This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Doesn't she do that so beautifully? Hey, do you have a car you're trying to sell? I'm sure it's a car that's got some high mileage on it. Maybe you're thinking, this thing is a bucket of bolts. It's rusted. It's this. It's that. Well, you know, instead of going through the rigmarole of putting an ad in the paper or online or on Craigslist, for example, and then having people show up at your home, you don't know anything about them. It gets kind of frustrating. The anxiety level is up. Hey, I got an idea. Instead, why don't you donate your vehicle to Heritage for the Blind? I did this probably about five or six years ago. I uh, donated a Honda Accord to them. Heritage for the Blind takes care of everything. The pickup is free. Your donation is tax deductible. All you have to do is call this toll-free number 1-800-605-5608. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats whether they run or not. Gotta love that. Call right now. Receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. That number again is 1-800-605-5608. 
Donate your card today. 1-800-605-5608. Heritage for the Blind. 1-800-605-5608. This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Here's the Street Savvy Marketer, Jim Raposa. Sean Buck is our guest on this episode and the next episode of the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. We are going to break up our conversation with Sean into a couple of different episodes. You might know, as I said earlier, Sean has had a great impact in the world at GKIC, the Glazer Kennedy Insider Circle, was also named Marketer of the Year there. Even got a big check and a round of applause and accolades from Dan Kennedy himself. Sean, a few years ago, wrote and released a book called Newsletter Marketing, and most recently, he co-authored a book with Dan Kennedy called The No BS Guide to Maximum Referrals and Customer Retention. Wonderful book. You gotta get this book. No BS Guide to Maximum Referrals and Customer Retention by Dan Kennedy and Sean Buck. Uh, speaking of books, by the way, we are going to give you an opportunity to pick up a free copy of Sean's first book, Newsletter Marketing. We'll tell you all about that in just a couple of moments. But right now, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Street Savvy Marketer podcast, direct from his office in Boise, Idaho, the newsletter pro himself, Sean Buck. Welcome into the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Jim. I'm super excited to be here. Well, you know, I almost believe that. <laughs> no, it's the truth. <laughs> You've got an amazing story starting at age 16, when you you found out that you were going to be a baby daddy, courtesy of your ex-girlfriend, yep. how did you kind of wander through a life event that can stop you in your tracks like that? And, and here you are, 16. How did you manage to not buckle under the pressure and freeze? Because you hear those kinds of stories an awful lot, and that's not what you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that. Um, I got that pretty crazy call from my ex girlfriend, like you said, when I was 16 years old, and uh, it was. I actually thought it was weird that she was calling me at first. Right? I was like, mm-hmm. she's like, uh, yeah, okay. So I'll talk to her, and then she goes, uh, hey, I just want to let you know I'm pregnant. And I'm like, oh, okay. Thinking to myself quickly, man, dodged a bullet on that one, right? You know, and and she, I said, well, that's great. Why are you telling me? And she goes, because you're the dad. <laughs> And so I was like, "Oh, hold on here. What do you mean?" So, um, yeah, I mean, as as far as the pressure, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I was just blessed. I I um, I had always had a strong sense of right and wrong. You know, this is right, this is wrong, and I felt that shying away from my responsibility was was wrong. And um, I wasn't going to be that guy. And I could actually even – this isn't part of the – part of the. I've told this story a number of times, but this is actually not part of the story I usually mention. But my older sister had – I had a niece. She was a baby uh, at the time as well. She's about uh, maybe 18 months older than my son is, maybe two years. Um, and um, I just fell in love with that little girl from the moment she was born. So that impact, I had that experience of Jordan coming into my life and this baby and falling in love with her. And then here I am, I'm I'm going to be a dad. And so I think just with my feeling of right and wrong being that it would be wrong for me to just do what even some of my other friends did and, and some, you know, what we hear a lot about with teen dads is just to leave and leave it up to the mom. Uh, but also I think I think having that, that little girl come into my life at, uh, at that stage probably didn't hurt either. So you had kind of a role model. 
in her. And, yeah, well, role model in the not necessarily even in my sister. I mean, to some extent, obviously, she did the right thing and they were married and and that kind of thing. But just in the idea that there was this little person who needed you, and right. uh, and so you know, I can't fully explain it. Uh, to be honest with you, it was just um, just what I I decided that I was going to step up, and I'm thankful I did. It, it changed my life for the better in in almost every way. Although that's not what family and friends told me. Uh, they told me I was an idiot. They told me that uh, <laughs> my, my life was over. Uh, and not all family and friends, obviously, but I had a number of people tell me my life was over. I, I wasn't going to amount to anything anymore, which uh, definitely f- uh, gave me a little fuel for the fire as well. It's nice to have the support of family and friends, isn't it? That's it. Yeah, yeah. And again, some were very supportive, you know, scared for me, but supportive, you know. Yeah. So. But at age 16, uh, and, and I know that almost immediately you started to think, well, I've I've got to figure out how I make a financial contribution to the upbringing of this child. And, and uh, yes. I mean, the kid has to be fed. You got to buy diapers and, and, and there's all money is a big component when a child enters your life. So at 16, what were you doing and how did you decide, hey, I, I got to I got to figure out something else here. What did you do to put more money in your pocket so you were able to assist as best you could financially in the upbringing of your of your son. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've never claimed to be the brightest guy, but I was pretty smart in one area, which is I quickly realized that my job as the mouse at Chuck E. Cheese, making four twenty five an hour, probably wasn't going to cut it. So <laughs> uh, actually, I made a um, kind of a, a decision to go out and find a real job, and where I thought I could find a real job was in sales. Mm-hmm. And I'd always had the ability to uh, talk and everyone had told me for a long time I was a natural salesperson. You know how you like everyone being probably like just my mom, you know, I don't know who everyone is, but they had told me the, these kinds of things. And so I went out and got a sales job at a regional electronics store called The Good Guys, hmm. uh, which is a West Coast electronics store. They're out of business now, but they, they were, think of Best Buy, only commissioned salespeople. Yeah. And I got a job in the computer department, which was a relatively, not necessarily new, but it was really coming mainstream at the time. In fact, uh, shortly after I started working there, the first Pentium processors came out. So it was really getting to be mainstream. One challenge was, though, I had to work full time, which meant I had to drop out of high school. And I, I was actually dropped out for a semester before I was able to figure out how to do high school and have a full time job at the same time. And in my very first month, two really funny things happened. The first was Apple Computers, very small company back then, had a contest. And it was for selling the most Apple computers in the company. And if you did that, you won a trip to Vegas. And I won my very first month. Unfortunately, I had to be 21 to claim the prize. So that kind of sucked. But what didn't suck was my first commission check was just about $5,000. Hello. Yeah, that was at 16. That was pretty good. So I figured out, I think there might be something to this. This, uh, This whole working and making money thing isn't that hard. I found out that that's not entirely true. Uh, it is pretty hard sometimes, but uh, but at that moment in my life, I didn't think it was going to be that hard. Yeah, but reality soon wandered into into your path, and you realize that yeah. it wasn't as easy as that first $5,000 check. Were you consistently making that kind of money in commissions selling computers at Good Guys? Yeah, I was. I mean, it would vary. Five, six thousand, sixty-five hundred was kind of my peak at that company, but a three to five thousand was not uncommon. A three to five thousand 
$1,000 a month was not uncommon. Every now and again, I'd do really bad and I'd end up with 2000 or 2500 bucks. but those were few and far between usually. Now, were you still living with your folks at that point? No. Uh, one of the ways I was able to get a girl pregnant was that I had moved out at 16. So, Hello. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So having your own place uh, for those parents who are listening uh, provides those opportunities. So <laughs> That's kind of a warning and a blessing that you just shared there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of a double-edged thing. So you're you're making some decent money selling computers, and at the same time, you were uh, kind of doing a, a home study course to get your high school diploma. Is that uh, what was going on, or how did you accomplish that? Basically, I had to go to uh, I had to go to class like two days a week. So my my um, I made my days off at, at the good guys the t- two days I had to go to class, and then I had a um, teacher who would come to my house typically I think once or twice a week, and and then yeah I had to do homework and stuff at night. So that's how I accomplished uh, finishing that up. And I finished up at about the same time I would have, so it ended up working out. I think I was a couple months behind. Maybe I finished in summer and they finished in May or whatever, right? But I pretty much finished up when I should have, and it kind of worked out. So you, I'm getting- guessing that you're like 18 now. Uh, Yeah, when I finish up, yeah, I'm 18 because I was just kind of heading into my junior year when my son was born. So, or no, I was just finishing just finishing my junior year when he was born. We're chatting with Sean Buck, who has got an amazing story of how he kind of backed into marketing. But Sean has uh, written a couple of books, Newsletter Marketing, and he has co-authored the no, the brand new No BS Guide to Maximum Referrals and Customer Retention. So it's great to have you on here, Sean, with the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. So at 18 now, you have done pretty well selling computers. Now your son is about to turn two or is he about a year and a half at this point? Yeah, so he was born two weeks before my 17th birthday. So yeah, he was probably uh, just a little over a year old probably. So at this point, are you, do you, because I know you went to college for a little bit. I did, yeah. Yeah, went to college for a couple of semesters. So what happens is I transition from computers to cell phones, sell a bunch of cell phones for AT&T, kind of start moving through management with AT&T. I'm making six figures over there. So it was a nice little living, but I kind of figured I should give this whole college thing a shot. I got through about two years of college before I came across a few revelations uh, about my business professor, like he had never owned a business, um, you know, and only Mm. was teaching this stuff. And uh, I was making more money than him that I decided that maybe this college thing wasn't for me. I'd always been a a, a studier of, uh, I mean, even at 16, that's about the time I actually met, not met personally, but found Dan Kennedy in a bookstore. Was 16, 17 years old, I bought one of his books. Mm. Sort of co-authored one with him now, kind of fills full full circle for me. But I'd always been a, a study of business and marketing. I you know, owned a pager company, sold pagers to my friends in high school, for those who know what those are. Um, <laughs> you know, but you know, had, had, you know, did this traditional lawn business like a lot of us did, a lot of us entrepreneurs did and stuff like that as, when I was younger. And, but yeah, so I did a couple of years worth of college and, and like I said, moved to AT&T, but ultimately left a, like I said, a very nice six-figure job, an offer to be a store manager as I was quitting to open up a hot dog stand. Now, there's some career trajectory, Sean. So, That's right. you, you know, you're going to go from uh, potentially managing an AT&T cell phone store to selling hot dogs. How in the world did you stop and think, hey, here's a great idea. What, what, and I'm not being sarcastic oh, in no. so much as I'm thinking, how do you go from, because for anybody else, I would think that they would, they would imagine, 
I got a pretty good deal going on here with AT&T making six figures. What the heck do I want to be standing outside in the cold selling hot dogs for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I said earlier, I'm not the brightest guy. No. Um, (laughs) What happened was I I was doing really well. I was making uh, a ton of money. And I realized that if I continued doing this, I was going to do this for a long time. If I continued with AT&T, the path I was going down, I wasn't going to be an entrepreneur. I was going to be a manager, a middle manager for AT&T someday, right? So you always had this entrepreneurial bug. Oh, yeah. I mean, since since I was about 10 I, is when I can remember getting it, you know, and um, and I knew I just knew it was that wasn't going to be what was happening because I was getting very comfortable. I'm 20, 21 years old. I mean, I'm, I've, at that point I'd been on like four cruises. I've, I got more money than I know what to do with. I mean, I just literally at, you know, other than just going and buying stuff, I can't spend it all. Uh, I got money piling up in the bank, nice car. I mean, I didn't have a house at the time, so I guess I could have bought a house, but boy, Sean, it sucks to be you. Yeah, it did. It's, it was horrible. horrible. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I did all these things. I had a very cush schedule because I was there, one of their top salespeople on the West Coast. I was typically in the top 10 somewhere. I actually only had to work 32 hours a week. So if I went into management, I would have had to change that. So, I mean, I had a really good life, but I just, I saw this opportunity. I had met a guy actually working for the good guys who had a hot dog stand in that shopping center, one of the shopping centers I worked at and uh, for them. And uh, he was killing it, making a lot of money. And an opportunity came up to buy a pair of these hot dog stands that were just opening up in front of Lowe's Home Improvement Stores. So it was about 90 grand to do it. And if you think about this time in the economy, it's 2001. I'm a young guy, but I'm making a lot of money and credit was, the credit restrictions were not great. I mean, I I had cash and I could get credit really easily. So I made the leap. Now you were in California at the time, right? I was. I was in the Bay Area. You get the first hot dog cart, and you're rolling in dough, right? Not not entirely. I mean, our first month, we killed it. Uh, we did like $20,000 in sales in the first month with, with a brand new store that had just opened, plus our hot dog stand. They didn't even have a lot of traffic necessarily, which was great. But then this event happened to all of us, the entire country, and maybe even the entire world, uh, September 11th hit. Mm. It was a month after we opened the first location, and we were maybe five or six months out from opening the second location, but already contracted for it. So that hurt a little bit, obviously, um, uh, from an economic standpoint on a you know, a patriotic level, it hurt a lot. But on an economic standpoint, that, that obviously caused a lot of ripple effects in the economy. So, Well, and it did. And just when you said, oh, 9-11 happened, I started to think of my business uh, at that time and it was amazing how nobody wanted to spend money. Yeah. It was an excuse for a lot of people to fold up the tent. Uh, sure. And it was frustrating, but it was an eye-opening experience to witness this. And, and also, you got to start tap dancing and figuring out real quick what you're going to do to make up that uh, lost revenue stream. But... Uh, so, so you got bit in the same way. Yeah, even even at hot dog stands, because we were dependent on Lowe's home improvement having traffic. So the moment Lowe's didn't have traffic, neither did we. Mm. Here you have a new store just opened. 
9-11 happens, building stops, remodeling stops, you know, I mean, basic home improvement continues, but that's a trickle of traffic flow. Um, a lot of things stopped for a little bit. And so we got hit a little bit. Um, not, I mean, a lot of people got hit, obviously, way harder. I mean, we're on the West Coast. Things that happened on the East Coast were hit way harder. But, you know, we were a small business just trying to eke out a living, and it, it did hurt. How long were you doing the, the hot dog stand thing? Not long, about 18 months. I, I quickly realized that even in California, sitting out in January, selling hot dogs sucked. And uh, I mean, we did get it up where we ultimately did our, between the two locations, we were, we were doing about $40,000, $45,000 a month, so about $500,000 a year. So that was great for hot dogs. I was making a little bit of money, uh, not as much money as I was making at AT&T though, partially I think due to my lack of management skills. So we were getting, people were stealing from us, right? So um, employees were stealing from us. That's a that's a story for another time. But uh, but yeah, I did it and I sold them. And, and so I made some money there because I sold... Uh, uh, one of them for ninety thousand dollars, which I'd only spent forty thousand to get into, and I sold another one for like seventy eight thousand. Again, spent forty thousand, or I spent thirty five on the second one. I got a little bit of a discount, so made a little money there, but was on to the next venture. And the next venture for you was this the dry cleaning? It was dry cleaning, yeah, which is actually where I first learned about newsletters. In fact, too. So okay. I owned a dry cleaning pickup and delivery company that would, at no extra charge, would come to your house each week, pick up your clothes, and then deliver it back the next day. And we made our money off of a split with the cleaner, with the dry cleaner, a 45-55 split. So we got 45%, the cleaner got 55% of whatever the cost of cleaning the clothes were. And we did the marketing and the sales and the pickup and the delivery, and they did all the hard work, which was the dry cleaning. And how long were you doing that? I did that for a long time. Uh, I had that business in the Bay Area for about three, I mean, a long time, I guess is relative, for three and a half years or four years. Sold that when we decided to move to Boise, Idaho, and then started again in Boise, Idaho, the same business. See, I had a... I was either going to do a, I had a direct mail marketing company in the Bay Area uh, at the same time I had the dry cleaning business. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so when I moved to Idaho, I was either going to redo the dry cleaning business or I was going to redo the direct mail business. But when I moved to Idaho, the economy started to crash. It was 2007, 2008 timeframe. And I thought that possibly a marketing company might not be my best idea at that moment. And actually, I think that may have been a mistake. To tell you the truth, I think that today, if the economy was going down, I think a marketing company would be great because if you know how to market, people really need that extra business at that point in time, right? The economy's shaky. But at that point, I didn't maybe have the self-confidence or the skill set to realize that. And I decided to go with what I knew, which was the dry cleaning business. And I started again and built up another dry cleaning business and then started coaching and consulting in the dry cleaning business as well, teaching other people how to do it. Information marketing, basically. This is a fascinating story, Sean, because... My entree into marketing really has its roots when I got into radio in 1975. So there are a lot of parallels. Being on the radio, writing commercial copy, producing commercials. I ended up in uh, owning an ad agency for a, a couple of years. But with you, your story, you're, it, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Sean. Yeah. But it seems like you were really trying almost desperately to find not just a significant income vehicle, but to find your passion. Uh, is that kind of a fair assessment up to that point in your life? Yeah, it, it really is. You know, I always knew I loved business, but when you're young, you don't always know exactly what it is you love. It's kind of like someone going to college and then switching majors midway through and stuff. And I was just kind of doing that with businesses, just feeling my way through what I enjoyed, what I didn't enjoy, and what was going to be right for me. And and then even just ultimately, like what was going to scale, what, what would scale up to meet my goals, my life goals. And so, yeah, I, I was really just filling it out. So I, I went through a lot of, we, we talked about a couple, but most of the time I owned multiple businesses during 
owning these these various businesses. I, I probably owned in my twenties. I probably owned eight different businesses at some point in time. Eight different businesses in your twenties is probably eight more businesses you owned in your twenties than a lot of twenty uh, year olds. Yeah, sure. So you weren't afraid to try. Nope, nope. And, I, and we always had some success. I mean, I sold every single business except one of them. One of when I moved to Idaho, I kept the advertising company in California because I could run it from afar, and I needed that for income, so I couldn't sell it. I mean, I couldn't sell it partially because the economy was going down. But then when I realized the economy was going down, I stopped trying to sell it because I was like, look, I'm going to use this for income to help live off of until I can build up these other businesses. And so if it goes out of business, eventually it goes out of business eventually. So, you know, every concept we started, we sold, like I said, with the exception of that one. And so, you know, we made money on all of them. It's just uh, it was yeah, it was just me trying to figure it out. So when did John Buck kind of figure it out and become the newsletter pro? So it was in 2011. What happened was I decided to sell the dry clean business. I'd, I'd had a goal. So it was my dry clean business in Idaho. I had a goal that I was going to own it for no more than three to five years. And I was in year three. Actually, I was, I was starting year four. And so I was like, okay, look, I need to get moving on this because I, I just don't really, I'm just not passionate about this business. You know, it makes me a nice living. I'm making, you know, maybe a hundred to 150,000 bucks a year, but I'm just not passionate about it. And, and I was, I was bored to be honest with you. I only had to work I know this sounds bad, but I mean, I was probably working maybe 20 hours a week on average, making a good amount of money. And I was just, I was bored out of my mind. So I decided to start figuring out another business. And I came up with a company called Solution Marketers, uh, which we had three products. One was newsletters. One was a direct mail campaign for dentists. And one was a direct mail campaign for restaurants. And I was going to, those were going to be my three products. And I was going to go out and sell those to the world. And I did. And so, but my first year was very part-time because I still had the dry cleaning business uh, up until uh, November of 2011. So it was very part time the first year. This was a business that you bought into. This wasn't one that you started. No, no, I started this from scratch. Okay. Yep. I wrote the sales letters. I came up with the creative. I went out and did the marketing. I mean, it was it was just I, I literally sat in my buddy's office, a friend of mine. We sat we sat down. He was helping me out. We sat at his whiteboard and we just brain dumped every possible decent business idea we could come up with. And I kind of combined three of them, which was newsletters, this uh, dental program and a restaurant program into one company called Solution Marketers, which ultimately Solution Marketers transformed into the Newsletter Pro. So our corporate name would be Solution Marketers. Our DBA would be the Newsletter Pro. So that's kind of how we ended up as the Newsletter Pro. And what happened was, is we started selling all of it. Right. So I got a couple of restaurants like I got this restaurant, Johnny Carino's, which is, you know, a chain of maybe about 80 Italian restaurants around the country. I signed up a couple of their locations. I started signing up some people for newsletters. I, I had a couple of dentists get started with us. And what happened was, though, is I quickly realized a couple of things. One, it's really difficult to start a business and have three different products. There's three different sets of marketing when you're going to those different customers. There's different customer service problems for each one. There's different metrics on how you calculate profitability. I mean, there's all these challenges that come in with having um, three different products. So I, I really evaluated the three and decided I needed to pick one. And so I, I did this deep dive search on the three. And what I found out was the restaurant product was the most profitable one I had. The dental one was the second most profitable one I had, and the newsletter was the least profitable one I had. And again, like I said earlier, I'm not necessarily the smartest guy, so I picked the newsletter uh, <laughs> product as the product that I was going to go after and I was going to dominate. Now, there was a little method to my madness there. We had actually, at that point, it was uh, mid-2012, we had never had a cancellation on that product. 
and people loved it and it was unique that no one else was offering the no other people offered newsletters but no one was offering them the way we do them and i understand why now now if i fast forward a little bit because it's damn hard there was a method behind the madness there i've I've always been a guy who doesn't like attrition and i had a lot of experience with newsletters i I wrote one in the dry cleaning business for years and years and years so it it also uh, happened to be that i had a lot of experience with it so now you're you're focusing on newsletters yes and even as you were selling these marketing packages to restaurants and you also had the dentist client or clientele list that you were selling a marketing package to how were you marketing to market somebody else's wares yeah so at that stage obviously we were really small most of that was you know in the in the very very beginning i literally just went out door to door and pounded the pavement Okay. So you were burning through shoe leather. I was. Yeah. And then after we got a little bit of traction, um, I started to get some referrals, which helped. And then we were using direct mail to do it. And so that was the kind of the three phases that we went through in growing that portion of the business to where it was. And so like to give you an idea of the growth, because we've had some crazy growth. So in January 2011, we started in January 2012, we were doing 8,000 bucks a month. So not not lighting the world on fire by any extent of the imagination, right? Yeah, we were doing $30,000 a month by July of 2012, which is when I decided to make that decision of I need to I need to buckle down and pick one, right? Right. So we buckled down. September of 2012 was when we went all in on newsletters. So I made the decision. We we started making the switch, and we're all in on newsletters. You know, new website, everything. From September 2012 to December of of uh, 2012, we doubled in size. We went from about 30, 35,000 bucks a month to 65, 70, 75 thousand dollars a month in sales. So that focus literally doubled us in four months. And again, you're burning through shoe leather and knocking on doors and yeah. A lot of word of mouth. Uh, I was getting a lot of networking. I was doing a lot of networking. I was doing. A, I wasn't knocking on doors anymore for that. I was doing networking, direct mail, and referrals. We were getting a lot of referrals. Well, referrals the name of the game. We are going to wrap up this portion of our interview with Sean Buck. Sean is going to join us on our next episode, and we're going to tell you how you can get a free, yes, a free copy of Sean Buck's book, Newsletter Marketing, in just a moment. Hang with us here on the Street Saturday. Marketer Podcast. This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. The taxes were filed to the IRS with care. But what about the ghosts of tax returns past? Give a listen. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank accounts, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problem now by calling the experts at U.S. Tax Shield. U.S. Tax Shield offers a price protection guaranteed quote to get you protected today. Call now, 800-542-6227. That's 800 800- 542-6227. U.S. Tax Shield, 800-542-6227. Well, I told you we had a nice freebie courtesy of Sean Buck for you. It is a copy of his book, Newsletter Marketing. All you got to do is go to his website, thenewsletterpro.com forward slash book, and fill out the form. He'll get this thing in the mail to you. Actual book, snail mail to you. That's thenewsletterpro.com. Dot com, and we have a link to Sean's website at streetsavvymarketer.com. 
all these dot coms and dot this and dot that. We got to get the dot out of here because we're going to make way for part two of Sean's interview with us here on the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. This is Jim Raposa thanking you for listening. We'll catch you next time. So long. You've been listening to the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. For more on this and previous episodes, go to streetsavvymarketer.com. Tell a friend about us. Thanks for listening. A presentation of Raposa Media. Oh, 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 oh